I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The pandemic lockdowns have been hard on everybody, but I think they've been worst for children. Not only have many kids been really worried about their parents or grandparents getting sick with the virus, They've had to stay home and haven't been able to go where they want or see their friends. You know, in a way, though, that was a problem even before the pandemic. According to a lot of research, kids today have far less independence, less freedom to explore, less free time to hang out than all previous generations. Free the children. Lenore Skenazy. There's so much intelligence and cognition building going on when kids are figuring out rules, when they're trying to figure out who's going to play with them, when they're keeping the game going, when it looks like it's about to fall apart. That's all learning, but it doesn't look like learning because it's play. We really have a hard time believing that you can be playing and learning at the same time. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? One of the things I love about doing this podcast is all the really interesting people we've gotten to know over the years. Right, so many of them. And not just people, but organizations such as the Democracy Group Network that this podcast is part of, and others that encourage diversity of ideas such as Heterodox Academy, Common Ground Committee, and Solutions Journalism Network. We have so much that we share in common with these and other organizations. And today we bring back a guest who's very much part of this kind of movement. And I think she holds the record for the most appearances on How Do We Fix It, Lenora Skenazy. Lenora was one of our very first guests six years ago, and she's been on the show, I think, three times since. Uh, Lenore helped start Free Range Kids Movement over a decade ago. She's president and co-founder of the Let Grow Foundation. This is really a movement that argues for giving kids more autonomy. The second edition of Lenore's groundbreaking book, Free Range Kids, just came out. She joins us from the town of Monroe in New York's beautiful Catskill Mountains. Welcome back to How Do We Fix It? Thank you. God, when was I on? It feels like um, a couple lifetimes ago, but it's probably like five years. So, in fact, it's been 13 years since you wrote that first newspaper column about letting your son ride the subway on his own. Right. Never saw him again. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, half, it seems like half the people were inspired and the other half thought you were the world's worst mom. Why yeah. was that? 
Um, I guess it's because I let my son ride the subway alone. But uh, the, the fear behind that is that anytime you take your eyes off your kid, they are going to be in deep trouble. And the reason that we let him, we, husband and I, uh, let him do this little adventure is because we we know the reality. That's how we get around in, in the city. And uh, he was very, our son really loved that form of transportation and we knew he could handle it. When you give talks now around the country promoting this idea that we need to give kids more freedom, more independence, what's the most common objection people come back at you with? People really um, believe a couple of things. One is that we are living in much more dangerous times than when they were growing up. There's, there's a belief that crime is going up when, in fact, it's been going down. New York City, where I live, there used to be about 2,000 murders a year in, in the 1990s, and now they're about 200. And this is something that nobody seems to believe, or even if you believe it intellectually, people still feel that there are more perverts out there, there's more crime. There's just, it's very hard to believe that things are getting better when, of course, the only things that ever make it to the media are things that are getting worse. How do you see an improvement in something that probably wasn't happening to you anyway, it's its really hard to grasp. The first edition of your book, Free Range Kids, came out in 2009. The new book was published just days ago. What's changed in the past 12 years since this movement began to give kids more independence? What's worse? There are a lot of factors that are making, you know, not just parents, but the whole country think that kids need constant supervision, attention, assistance, intervention. And even if you look at statistics, if if it doesn't feel safer, you still hold your children closer than you were like. Like, let me ask you guys. Yeah, this is something actually Jonathan Haidt, who I work with now, uh, asks his audiences when he has uh, when he's giving a talk to yell out the age that they were first allowed outside as kids. And he asks first for anybody born before 1985, which I believe you were. <laughs> so tell me about what age you started either walking to school or playing outside without a parent with you. Three, two. <laughs> I mean, you know, I lived in the, the idyllic 60s American suburban life. I walked by myself literally to kindergarten and that was just assumed that would all kids did. I, wa- I, right. I walked with a friend to kindergarten. Yeah, and not not with my uh, with my parents. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I too was a kindergarten walker, and when I got to the corner that I had across, uh, the the crossing guard was another kid. Uh, do you remember that? <laughs> that just seems like insane. In in the neighborhood where I live now, which is a kind of quiet neighborhood in Queens. Uh, there are two crossing guards. And actually on a day when one of the crossing guards couldn't make it, there was a cop car blocking the street. So the age that kids are allowed out now, when when um, when you ask parents what age their kids are going out, actually there was just a study done in Britain. And parents who had themselves first been allowed outside at age nine let their kids out at age 11 now. So you're saying that one of the trends that's getting worse is kids being treated like babies. Uh, what are just a few others briefly? I mean, things like smartphones, homework? Yeah. yeah, those are two of the biggies. And 
you know, the, the whole idea is that smartphones are going to make you not have to worry because you can tell where your child is at any moment. You can geolocate them. You can tell their temperature actually from far away. You can see all their grades. You can see what texts they've been sending, if that's what you choose. You can see, did they get on or off the bus? And so rather than making you feel like you can take your eyes off your kids, basically your eye is either glued to your kid or glued to your phone, which is giving you a readout on your kid. So there's just a lot more information. And then on the flip side, maybe the flip phone side, there are all these devices for children to carry now, even when they're too young for a phone, that allow them to be in touch with their parent. And I just have to tell you one story because nobody is as upset about it as me. And you can tell me, uh, Lenore, calm down, which many people do. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal called Raising a Free-Range Kid in 2020. The article concluded that the best way to raise a child who is free-range in 2020 is to give them one of these devices that, that's called like a, a gizmo watch or some kind of tracking device. That allows you to track the kid, but it also allows the kid to easily contact you even though they don't have a phone. They can press a button and they're in touch. And the mom who was interviewed in the police was saying how she dearly loved her childhood like we were just talking about, you know, walking around as kids. She loved going to the creek, playing by herself. She said these moments were very important for building independence and curiosity and resourcefulness and everything good. And she wanted to give that to her kid. So she gave her kid this gizmo phone that clamped on the wrist. And sure enough, the kid was riding her bike, presumably to the, to the creek, when the chain fell off her bike. And then what happened next, guys? What do you think? So the kid contacts one of the parents to come and put the chain back on because it's too hard for kids to figure out how to put a chain on a bike. Well, you know what? It, it is too hard probably, but they're certainly not going to bother trying or figuring it out or limping home with a dead bike. Um, if indeed their father is available with the push of a button and that's exactly what happened. And this was considered a triumph, a victory for free ranging. But to me, it's the opposite of free ranging. And it's sort of what is taking away from the independence of kids is the availability of adults to always swoop in and fix things. I'd like to share a story from my own grandson, who's nine, who goes to school in Brooklyn at a local public school. He's a fourth grader. And right next door to that school, and this is the case with a fair number of schools in New York City, I've learned, there's a playground. And the kids come straight out of school, and there are very few parents around, and they play, all age groups, completely free-form play, which I found really delightful. I absolutely love that. And that's actually what we're suggesting. Uh, you know, we, we suggest starting a Let Grow Play Club because we're trying to approximate that. If that is happening spontaneously, you don't need a play club. I'm certain it is. And the best thing I can do as a grandparent is sit about 200 yards away for two hours, if possible, and just let him go at it. And that's, that's what's happened. It's been a wonderful part of his life recently. He wasn't able to do this during the worst of COVID. But uh, yeah, he's really getting out there. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Uh, what do you think he gets from playing with uh, the different ages, not just nine-year-olds? I think he gets to invent. Let me think about that for a moment. I have the glory of editing to let me uh, sound more intelligent than yeah. I am. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so far, you've sounded pretty intelligent to me. <laughs> Maybe you're about to blow it. <laughs> I think he gets to 
make up his own rules and be more curious um, and also be spontaneous and in the moment. One of the things I found fascinating is who he chooses to play with and not play with. And I've looked over at times and been worried because he's on his own. And then three minutes later, he's with like eight other kids and they're different eight other kids than the kids he'd been playing with half an hour before. It's really kind of a wonder to, to behold. He, they're so adventurous and inventive in how they play. Uh, that's really surprised me. Wow. You've just said everything that I totally believe and the reason we are really trying to get free play back into kids' lives. The curiosity, obviously, it's like, what can we do? I was watching some kids free playing, big group of mixed age kids here um, a couple days ago, and they literally voted on what they wanted to do next. And I sometimes wonder if, you know, we think the kids are modeling themselves on, I don't know, classroom politics or maybe real politics, but I think real politics sort of modeled on childhood when you had to get a group of kids together and make something happen. Are you gonna build a fort? Are you gonna play capture the flag? You know, who's the captain of the team? All that is democracy. And when there's somebody superimposing all of that as a, you know, as the adult organizing the activity, that's sort of dictatorship. And we want kids to have experience with democracy. That's such a great point about encouraging kids to learn how to make decisions. Right. When you talked about your grandson choosing some kids to play with and then maybe some other kids to play with, one of the reasons that I, this is hypothetical, but I think that maybe we talk about bullying so much these days because we force kids to play with each other. You know, they're in a certain league or we say everybody has to be invited and whatever. And it's like one of the amazing things about free play is that the bully often loses. Those experiences are really rich. And I worry that they're rare because so many activities for children are organized by an adult. Or if they see a conflict brewing, they step in because they don't want anyone's feelings to get hurt. They're afraid of bullying. They don't think kids can handle it. And, and therefore, they make it so the kids can't handle it because they don't get the experience. So your organization, Let Grow, works with schools on a number of really cool programs. One of them is a kind of pre and after school activity called the Play Club, the Let Grow Play Club. Explain how that works. Let Grow Play Club is an extremely simple idea. <laughs> and it is that we have schools, we ask schools to stay open before or after school for free play. No devices, uh, lots of loose parts, balls, jump ropes, old cardboard boxes, suitcases, what have you. All the ages mixed together. And there are adults there. (laughs) I always picture them in the corner. The one thing that they are told is that they're not going to intervene, right? If if somebody is getting, you know, physically walloped, okay. But basically, if somebody comes to you and says, you know, his ball, you know, he took the ball from me or that was out or whatever. It's like, thank you for telling me. I'm sure you could figure it out. Thank you for telling me. I'm sure you could figure it out. And why we take this out of kids' lives to give them more structure and more instruction, you know, I think we only see kids learning when they are being literally instructed by an adult. This is how you hold the bat. You know, this is how we play the game. But there's so much intelligence and cognition building going on when kids are figuring out rules, when they're trying to figure out who's going to play with them, when they're keeping the game going, when it looks like it's about to fall apart, that's all learning, but it doesn't look like learning because it's play. We really have a hard time believing that you can be playing and learning at the same time. 
We're speaking with Lenore Skenazy about the second edition of her book, Free Range Kids. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Lenore, there is a chapter in your book which says, Other countries are laughing at scaredy-cat Americans. Um, (laughs) Why? Why are they laughing at us? Well, because we have a lot more restrictions on our kids and seem to believe that they need a lot more assistance than other countries do. But in America, we seem to have lost the belief that anything can develop naturally. And so we are jumping in to assist when kids need zero assistance or when they need less assistance. And in other countries, the assumption is that kids can handle some things on their own. I mean, Japan is famous for this. They have the kids put on these cute little hats when they're like preschoolers or or kindergartners. And that shows the world that they're really young and just starting out at school. And so the adults along their route to school that they walk by themselves help them, you know, when they cross the street. And you see kids ages six, seven, eight, you know, taking public transportation. You see in a lot of countries the mixed age play going on as opposed to everything being organized for them. Other countries have not decided that children are in constant danger and and so needy um, the way we do. What happens with these kids who've had all their conflicts mediated and, and, and their pathways smoothed out? What happens when they go off to college or, or enter the workforce? What I'm hearing is that they um, assume that, they, that somebody will be there to help them if they're uncomfortable. I was talking to a young woman who was working in a, I can't remember what business, but it was an office. And one of her colleagues her age had to take two weeks off because she was just feeling so anxious. And I don't think that that's completely anomalous now. So parents have been told that kids can't handle anything. And it's this tangle of just distrust. The kids are not trusted to handle anything on their own. And parents are not trusted to do anything instinctively. They're always being taught what they should be doing optimally to make their kid the perfect kid. And that turns out to be very, very labor intensive. One example of distrust also is in society where 
there are so many cases of people calling 911 to report a kid playing outside or walking home from school and parents being investigated for supposed neglect. Yeah, I I don't think when I wrote the first edition of my book, I was very aware that that was an issue. And then uh, because I wrote the book, people started writing to me and saying, you know, the weirdest thing or the most distressing thing my kid was you know, playing outside on the front lawn or whatever. And somebody else thought that they shouldn't be there and called 911. And then I had, you know, to deal with the consequences. Uh, I want to state here that it's still extremely unlikely that simply letting your child play outside at an age you think is reasonable will end up in, you know, with any kind of investigation. But the fact that it does it all would get my goat so much that I wrote about these cases and then um, it had a good effect and a bad effect. The bad effect is making people worry like, oh, I can't let my kid play outside. What if? But the good effect is that Utah in 2018 went ahead and passed uh, the first country's first free range kids law. They called it that, um, which said it's not neglect to let your kid play outside or walk to school or even wait briefly in a car if it's not too hot or not too cold and not too long or or stay home alone for a little bit. Let me ask you about a few of those laws, because it's not just Utah. There's also Oklahoma and Texas, and I believe Colorado. Uh, What are those laws saying, or how are they changing things for parents? Um, They change things a couple of ways. They help CPS, Child Protective Services, because they don't have to go running after, you know, I saw a seven-year-old kid outside, and I, I don't think he should be outside. And it's like, well, was he okay? Yes. Was he screaming? Was he followed by somebody? Was he calling his mom because he was, you know, being held up by gunpoint? No. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And CPS doesn't have to go and investigate. So that's great. They can concentrate on serious cases of abuse and neglect. Secondly, um, they reassure parents that they are allowed to use their own best judgment on when they think their kid is ready for some independence. But also it really helps parents who don't have a lot of money because sometimes you don't want your kid, your six-year-old or your seven-year-old to be home alone, but there's one bus an hour at 7.15 a.m. that will get you to your job and the babysitter is late. And so you have a choice of letting your kids stay home alone, don't eat anything, sit on the couch, don't answer the door, and running to catch that bus, and the babysitter is going to be there half an hour later, or losing your job, because you don't catch the bus, and you don't get to work, and you're, you know, you're, you're out of luck. And so to recognize that poverty is not neglect, and also to recognize that like one-offs are not neglect. Regular life can't be absolute perfection, constant supervision helicopter parenting, that cannot be the law of the land. And in Texas and in Oklahoma and in Utah, it's not. And we're hoping that in Idaho and South Carolina and Georgia and Colorado and maybe even Virginia, we'll be working next year and trying to pass similar laws because they only help. They help parents. They help Child Protective Services. They certainly help kids by making independence legal. Another project that let grow sponsors is, well, it's called the Let Go Project in schools, and it involves a relationship between the schools, the children, and the children's families. How does it work? So um, a school or a teacher that's doing the Let Grow Project simply sends a kid home with the project, which is an assignment that basically boils down to go home and do something new on your own without your parents. And if everybody's doing it, if all the kids in the school and all the parents in the school are doing it, 
it changes everybody because you've renormalized kids doing something without you. We heard in, in one of the towns that was doing it for kids, the kindergarten through uh, fifth grade, which is, I guess, around age 11. One of the kids started going to the market by himself. And the people at this market in this little town in Connecticut were like, you know, what's this kid doing here? Where's his parent? And one of the people who worked at the market asked the child, why are you here alone? Why are you why are you not with a parent? And he said, I'm doing my let grow project. And they're like, well, great. What is the let grow project? And he explained, oh, I have to do something by myself. And I decided to get a muffin. And they're like, all right. But then as other kids started coming in over the weeks and the year, it was normal again. It was normal for kids to just go and get a candy bar again. Something that had become taboo was just back to the olden days. One thing that's really struck me in the different accounts I've read about what the kids do in these projects is how often what the kids want to do is actually something that helps the family. It's a chore. It's some kind of work. Kids want to be part of the adult world. Kids want to be trusted. Kids want to help. And we keep undermining them by assuming that they can't or they won't or they'll be in danger. And this is just the Let Grow Project just starts to renormalize kids being part of the world. We're now into summer vacation in many states. Um, at the same time, the pandemic appears to be well and truly ending. What should parents do differently now that hopefully lockdowns are a memory? I would say during the pandemic, a lot of things shifted. There were uh, kids couldn't go to their soccer leagues. There wasn't after school homework help. And kids had to fill some of that time on their own. They had to be a little more inventive. Uh, now they can fill their time on their own, be inventive and be with other kids. I'd say step back. Let it happen. Last question. Your son, Izzy. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> your son, Izzy, was nine, I think, when you let him take that famous subway line. What's he up to today? Uh, literally today, he's in Pennsylvania somewhere. He he had to do a, an internship for, to finish college, which, thank God, it's going to happen. Uh, so he's working with a baseball camp doing videos of the, the kids. And, and how does he feel about having been, you know, the first test case of the free range kids movement? You know, I'd like to think it's as important to him as it is to me, but it sure isn't. You know, he's just like, <laughs> like, whatever, mom. Thank you very much, Lenore. Oh, thank you guys. Oh my God. There's so many stories I wanted to tell, but um, I'll see you in a year or two. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Good luck with the book. Thanks. Richard, your recommendations have been a big part of my life in the last couple of years. What have you got for us today? Glad to be of influence. Uh, False Flag, an Israeli TV show that follows, to some extent, in the tradition of shows like Fauda. They're just so gritty, these Israeli television programs. And I think you can find False Flag on Hulu. Um, a strong recommendation for that one. Richard, you know, I think Lenore Skenazy is someone who is really making a difference in our society right now. In some ways, she doesn't give herself enough credit. This whole idea of free-range kids really is catching on in our society, even though 
there are a lot of forces pushing in the other direction. And it's even a, a, a common phrase you hear today that she basically coined back when she wrote her book 12 years ago. Yeah, it's not just a criticism of what's wrong, but it's also what could be right that really attracts me to what Lenore is saying. How can we help parents feel more confident, more trusting, less fearful? There are many potential causes of this urge to control our kids. Some, I think, involve the decline of community and volunteering. I mean, joining a church or a temple, for instance, requires trust and faith in a power greater than ourselves, and fewer people are doing that today, and fewer people are joining local groups and organizations, and perhaps that, that um, cutting oneself off from our local community is, is a reason for this. But what I really think works in her work, and, and you put your finger on it, is she's not just scolding the parents for being overprotective. She's actually very sympathetic with the parents, and uh, she's not scolding the kids for being too timid. Instead, she's coming up with really simple, small steps to help people get started. This whole Let Grow project is such a cool idea. Just let kids identify one little thing that they want to try, and then another thing, and then another thing, and and reward people for doing that. And and I think that is a great way to start changing individual families and the culture one little step at a time. Wait a minute. We didn't find anything to disagree on, Jim. Well, we'll have to save that for our, <laughs> our next show, I guess. It's hard to disagree it's, about this. <laughs> it's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. And at Davies Content, we make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Check us out at DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. And a final thing, one of the podcasts on Democracy Group Network is Swamp Stories. From slush funds in Congress and dark money to gerrymandering and foreign interference in our elections, Swamp Stories, from issue one, shines a light on the swampiest practices in D.C. that repulse both Democrats and Republicans, reform leaders, elected officials, and experts from across the political spectrum discuss the culture of cash and corruption in D.C., and how we can fix this broken system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.